Good afternoon. Rich Nass, Executive Vice President with Open Systems Media and leader of the Embedded Computing Design franchise, here for this week's Embedded Insiders podcast with Brandon Lewis, Technology Editor. Hello, Brandon. How are you? Is, is, it, is it still me? Am, am I still on uh, one of the insiders? It looked like sounded like you were a little uncertain there. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I'll, you can hold your spot. You're good for a little while. Okay. At least so embedded world. <laughs> Sorry. Um, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Uh, good. And I'm fully recovered from CES, which was last week. And... Um, I won't get into complaining, but it's it's just hard because it's so spread out and you run around all over the place. And uh, I've made the conscious decision that I do not move out of somebody's way who is walking and texting at the same time. I will bump into them and knock the phone out of their hand. That's a good that's a good policy. For me, I'm so big though that I might you know get a salt charge as well against me or something. <laughs> But you know, actually, I got I got physically sick on the way back from CES. So, oh. I, well, and when I was back, I didn't throw up. I just got sick. But yeah, it's a bear. It's a grind. Yes, it is. However, you see some really cool stuff. So uh, you go first. What was the coolest thing you saw at CES? Well, um, you know, actually, there were there was no. The, the big thing at CES this year was, was probably virtual assistants. I would say out of all the headliners, um, virtual assistants were everywhere. Google put a ton of money into uh, advertising their Google Home flat platform, especially for a company that actually didn't have uh, like a real, real booth presence, I guess you'd say. But some of the more interesting stuff that I noticed were deficiencies. Um, and in particular, a lot of that had to do with uh, automotive. So... I think that everybody has gotten a little bit ahead of themselves when we talk about the connected car. And one of the reasons for that is that, you know, we, we know about Tesla, we know about the ability to update firmware over the air uh, remotely and, you know, improve the powertrain performance or improve, you know, add autonomous drive uh, functionality in, in one way or another. But one of the big um, areas that hasn't been talked about in connected car is not wireless, but the wired uh, intra vehicle network. So, uh, you know, the buses that are running around all inside that have traditionally been CAN, LIN, FlexRay, most, um, those buses are slowly but surely going to be replaced by Ethernet, um, especially with some of these ADAS applications that are, you know, streaming video, streaming sensor data. Um, Ethernet, uh, and especially Ethernet TSN, which is the deterministic version of Ethernet that came out of uh, the industrial space, um, it seems to be a good choice because it's a lot higher bandwidth. Now, if people are going to use 1 gigabit Ethernet or 10 gigabit Ethernet, it remains to be seen, and it's still early days. But it's really clear that um, walking around the show that, A, a lot of auto manufacturers are still you know, trying to make the decision. Um, some concept cars, in fact, that you know, are supposed to be uh, you know, 10 years out aren't even using Ethernet, which is surprising. Um, but B, one of the problems is that all these auto manufacturers have different in-vehicle network architectures, and I'm not suggesting that they should all be the same, but it's sort of slowing the uh, adoption of the actual connected car. Because if you think about having a somewhat standardized in-vehicle network uh, with Ethernet running all over the place, 
it would be a lot easier to accelerate some of the things that we know of in the IoT, like doing remote updates straight to a particular ECU um, that controls, say, uh, I don't know, a, the anti-lock braking system, and putting, making sure that it's secure. So that was one of the things that I noticed there, um, and I know that was a mouthful. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, you, I thought you were starting to go down the path of voice input, um, and uh, that was something that I saw there that I was very impressed with. I saw a demo in somebody's suite. I don't know if you're familiar with DSP concepts, but they were showing these algorithms where in, in the demo that they showed, um, they put uh, their dev board that had microphones in it and was running Alexa software next to a very loud speaker. And they would crank up the speaker like it was really loud, like you couldn't hear the commands being said uh, into the uh, Alexa device, but mm -hmm. it still heard the commands. Um, I was very, very impressed with that. What, uh, what sort of, so they're, they're algorithms, but it was, was it uh, sort of traditional beamforming with microphones that they were using that just yeah. were... That, that yeah, they're algorithms running on a specific DSP. Um, very cool stuff. Very good. Um, didn't you also see another, uh, I guess it isn't what we every day consider embedded, but another uh, sort of video conferencing uh, voice rec sort of solution? I did. It, yeah, it actually wasn't video conferencing, but, but that's one of the applications that it makes a lot of sense in, where um, they use the DSP to locate your ears, and <laughs> they would send the sound directly to your ears. So only you could hear the audio um, for security reasons. I mean, you could use this thing on a plane. And, I mean, you obviously can't talk without disturbing other people, but you could listen, and only you could hear the audio. I was, I was amazed at how they could do that. And, and you don't have to stay in one place. You could move around a little bit, and it followed your ears around. Uh, very, very cool stuff. Creepier um, and creepier. That was a company called Novito from Israel. Creepier and creepier. Yep. Down the rabbit hole we go. Um, sorry to do this. Any, any more on uh, voice rec and uh, virtual assistants? No, but I will say one other cool thing that I saw that's unrelated completely. Um, we've been talking about fuel cells forever. For, oh, probably for the last 20 years, we've been saying, fuel, we've been saying the fuel cells are three years out. And I'm referring to um, the miniature fuel cells, the ones that will... Uh, power your laptop. Mm -hmm. I, I finally saw one that it's not in mass production yet, but they said it's just a couple of months out, and they had prototypes there at the show, and it runs on plain old water. Um, so if they can mm. actually do that, that would be very impressive. So for, for the last 20 years, you've been saying it's three years out, so now that it's a couple months uh, out, is it going to be another five years? I don't know. I mean, it's... It, <laughs> It was a company out of Sweden called MyFC for my fuel cell. Uh, we'll see. Um, it's the closest that I've seen it come, so ho hopefully it's real. That's very cool. I got one more thing to, to throw your way, um, just because it's CES and I have to touch on this. One of the biggest trends or the biggest presence at CES was from startup LiDAR companies. Um, you know, the, the uh, light version of, of, of the 
light-based version of radar. And they were everywhere. There were probably 15 of them. And on every autonomous drive demo that I was in or saw, there was some sort of LIDAR uh, being used as part of the active safety system. I had an interesting conversation with a company um, out of Russia called Cognitive uh, Technology, and they said LIDAR is expletive, and it doesn't start with an F or a C. It starts with an SH. And I asked them why. And they said, well, there's some basic principles of physics that uh, LIDAR just can't get past, such as when you're shooting a light beam, um, what if it's raining or snowing? Can't that light beam be reflected and refracted off of that um, water, uh, that, the moisture and precipitation in the air? And that was a good point, uh, something that I couldn't answer. So I think maybe at some point uh, here in the near future we should have one of these LIDAR guys on and see if they can explain. Yeah, that makes lots of sense. Another I also thought funny it was, a, it was a coming out party for Z-Wave. Oh. It was a, a huge pavilion with um, all sorts of home automation stuff. I was impressed by that. Yep. Um, and, uh, and I know we're running a little long, but last funny thing, going back to those cognitive tech guys, is they pointed out to me that um, the being a Russian company, um, they have a big leg up in artificial neural networks because they have a ton of video data from all of the dash cams on all the Russian cars. They were able to identify a ton of objects based on that data. So that was kind of a quirky, funny little fact. There's probably a whole lot of Hillary jokes there, but I should probably refrain. <laughs> yeah, up to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, the only other thing that I want to mention is is that I was surprised by the lack of excitement around drone technology this year. Last year, it, it, it was like the thing, and this year you had to actually look for it. It, it, seems, like, it seems like technologies at CES have a two-year max <laughs> life that's, cycle. You that's, know? that's a really good point. Yeah, because remember a couple of years ago, was wearables were everywhere. You couldn't go two booths without seeing a wearable, and then I, didn't, I don't know if I saw any uh, you know, wearable yep. companies in particular this year. So Very good. Yep. Okay, this was this week's Embedded Insiders, and we are brought to you by the Trusted Computing Group, the folks who make the insecure Internet of Things secure. And that was Brandon Lewis, Technology Editor for Embedded Computing Design, and I'm Rich Ness. Have a great day, Brandon. Thanks. You too, Rich. I've got to finish going through all my CES tchotchkes. Sounds good. <laughs> Bye.